Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for jumping on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and I know we've talked over Instagram, but this is this is cool to be able to actually talk to you face to face, kind of. <laughs> yeah, no sweat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, where are you right now? I am on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, in Canada, a town called Nanaimo. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. you are, so you're a Canadian? Yeah. I'm oh, very very cool. I've uh, yeah. I've been to British Columbia once. It was when I first visited or the only time I visited Alaska when I was going into college and we nice. it was the last leg of the trip. We went whale watching on a Zodiac and it was oh, the coolest okay. thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's this neck of the woods. I'm, I'm from Vancouver Island, which is obviously like right on the West coast, uh, just South of Alaska. Um, I'm born and raised, born and raised here. Wow. That's awesome. And, yeah. uh, so I just want to quickly say for people who, they, they don't know, you were one of the biggest reasons I'm in the major I am today. Uh, when I went to Queens University, where you went, it was, uh, I'm no longer there, I switched schools, but I started there, and I saw your picture on the communications magazine, you're in the Arctic, I believe, and you're filming, and it's it was one of the most powerful pictures I've ever seen of someone, and I was like, that's what I want to do, like, that is the coolest thing, I was like, who who is that, what major was that? And then that led me to all of this. So I got to say thank you for that. Oh, that's really, really nice of you. Thanks. Yeah. um, Queens was great. I loved it there. How did you go from living in Canada to finding Queens? How how does that work? So I was a lacrosse player um, growing up here. And I ended up getting a a deal to go to Queens and kind of like the rest is history. But I mean, I can't think of a, a more different place to go to. Like at that age, I think I was really wanting something different and wanting to go somewhere else in the world. And um, lacrosse gave me that opportunity to do that. So grew up in British Columbia and then ended up in North Carolina. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. That's a huge difference. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up, I'm from Florida. That's where I am now. And mm-hmm. I going for just from Florida to North Carolina was a big change for me too. But they have a great athletic program at that school. And that's why I was there too for triathlon. And uh it's it's cool now that school brings a lot of people in because of athletics from all over. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's just you know, it just opens. Yeah, it's athletics, but it just opens so many more doors than just that. Like, I would not be doing what I do today if it wasn't for, you know, given the opportunity to go somewhere like Queens to really. So, what did they yeah. do for you that changed your path? Um, I mean, really, they just once I had some professors kind of figure out that I was interested in cameras and production and photography and that I kind of had an appetite for it. They just kind of gave me the keys to the place. Like I, it was unheard of. I was able to use edit bays. They turned over all the lighting equipment. They turned all over the camera equipment and it was pretty much unsupervised playtime for me, which is, I know how personally I learn best. Just give me some stuff and I'll figure it out kind of deal. So um, I'm not exactly like formally trained, but I was able to just be given the tools and, you know, I just figured yeah. it out. And I think that's, that's the beauty of a small school like that is that they can do that because they really can get to know their students. Right. And I think that's definitely a, a plus of going to a school like that. Were you big into photography and videography before you went there or was it just something you were kind of interested in? Um, I was... I was into it growing up. Like I would, you know, I was that 
kid that would always like want to make movies and like have all these ideas and have a, I had a little camcorder. I remember I had a like, you know, instant photo kind of uh, like little point shoot yeah. film camera that I would mess around with. Like the family would go on vacation, but it was not really anything serious. It was more just me playing. Um, and it wasn't till I got to Queens and I was going to school that I was like, wow, I could actually do this for a living. Um, that's when it really kind of like kicked into high gear and I really started to take it seriously and like dive into the education of it. Yeah. And you, so did you, you graduated the major in communication. Was there a focus in the visual arts? Uh, no, I mean, I was a media studies major. Okay. Uh, I minored in marketing, like quite frankly, and I'm sure the university would cringe a little bit to hear this, but aside from like a little bit of digital media classes, um, I just, yeah, there was no like formal education in cinematography or photography. Yeah. That I did. Yeah. Do you think that cinematography and vid- photography is something that can be taught on a formal level? Or do you think it's should be done the way you said, where you kind of figure it out as you go and it's kind of like playing? That's a good question. I go back and forth, but I would say that everyone is different. Like I work with a lot of people who have been to film school and have learned formally. And there's certainly a benefit to like, you know, sitting in a classroom and, and learning lighting or learning editing and or composition or whatever. But I think ultimately you can get to the same place having, you know, walking both routes. Um, it's just like how you learn, you know, some people, I I tend to learn best by just be being thrown into situations and figuring stuff out and like learning at my own pace and figuring out things I need to know as I go. Um, some people do really well with a more formal education setting, I think. So to each their own. I I agree with that. And I think I'm definitely on the side of figuring out as you go. I mean, I had some classes at the school here where it was video production and I, I just couldn't do it. Like sitting in the classroom, not that I thought I was better than the teacher or anything like that. It just, it was really hard for me to sit there and kind of be taught this creative process that I figured out on my own. And right. I had to drop the classes and switch my concentration. But it, I think it helped me creatively not having someone telling me exactly what way to do it. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think that um, to me, that's how I think it, is best but like you said some people need may or maybe want to learn in a classroom setting and to each their own Mm -hmm. um but so i lived in charlotte for a little bit and Mm -hmm. it's definitely not really a wildlife or nature city and that's correct me if i'm wrong is that is your main concentration right now when it comes to cinematography yeah, I would say um, most of the shows that I film are, most of them, not all of them, but have uh, revolved around other like animals or the outdoors and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So how did you break into that type of cinematography then? Well, um, I obviously I did my four years at Queens. And then while I was there, I worked for a small production company called Suzy Films. They're based in Charlotte. They're still around down there. Um, and it was really great working for, um, a smaller company like them because quite frankly, they didn't have a ton of people working for them. So that means I got to do a little bit of editing. I got to do a little bit of shooting. I was doing some producing. I was developing, I was coordinating, I was being a production assistant. I was really filling any hole that needed to be filled. And because they were a smaller company, I was given at a young age, not knowing really anything 
um, I was given the opportunity to do that. Um, and while I was there, we ended up selling a uh, two-episode pilot to the Travel Channel, um, and it was called Jackson Kayak. And uh, the Jackson family is a family of professional kayakers, and they have their own kayak brand called J Jackson Kayak. Um, and we sold this show revolving around the family and their travels. Um, and as a result, we hired a full production team and I was going to be on the field production team. And it was, I mean, I cannot, looking back at it and thinking about it now, I just like shake my head about how lucky I was. Episode one was in Munich and oh my God. Austria. <laughs> and then episode two was in South Africa and Zambia. Oh my so, God. At, you know, at 23, 24 years old, I was working with a, you know, a television production team. Um, and I was in the field, I was working as like the media manager, like dumping all the footage every night. And then yeah. during the day, I was uh, essentially like the assistant camera. Um, and I hit it off with uh, the DP of the show, a guy by the name of Dallas Childers, um, phenomenal guy. Um, and, uh, he, you know, after that project ended, I, I explained to him, it's like, you know, he was a really active outdoorsy guy. We had a ton in common and I was like, I want to do what you do, man. Like, and he's like, well, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to go freelance, then, um, you know, I'll hire you to be my assistant camera guy. Um, so I ended up after that project wrapped, I, I, uh, left Susie films and I went freelance and I, uh, I started working for him and my first show with him was a national geographic show called uh dr oakley yukon vet um which filmed both in alaska and the yukon in canada wow. and it revolves around um a woman uh, michelle oakley is her name and she's a wildlife veterinarian and she is a badass and um i you know was cutting my teeth up there with them uh, as an assistant cameraman on that show for for a couple years Wow, that is so cool. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That that's yeah. huge. Um, I I'm kind of in a similar position to where I'm. So I'm 21 years old, and I'm working with Beneath the Waves. Um, I don't know if you know who they are. They're a shark conservation group. Um, they do oh. a lot of work on like Shark Week. Doctor Austin Gallagher, who's the head of it, he uh, he's on the Discovery Channel, like all that stuff. And they're awesome. They I went on a trip with them a few months ago as kind of like just to test me out, see how I am photography wise. And then they liked it. And now I just got back from a trip from the Bahamas with them. And then I have another one on the fifth and I'm literally like, I'm 21 years old and I'm getting to shoot with this company and I'm using their red Komodo in the water. I'm like, what is going, how did this happen? Like it's yeah. the craziest thing. Yeah. And it, it's, I would say like, it's good to be cognizant of that and like give your head yeah. a shake sometimes. And, and cause you know, doing this for a living can sometimes be stressful, but like to, to take a moment and think about how lucky you are and how you're doing what you want to do is, is a very good thing to do. Uh, you, what was the, um, outfit in the Bahamas you're working with? So they, they actually just acquired their own research vessel. So oh, we were cool. living on the boat and that's what we were doing everything on. So we don't have to, like use any charter anymore so we just take her the boat's name's tigress and uh yeah so that's what we use now oh that's super cool yeah, yeah. i did some work i did some work for a uh, shark week production a uh, number of years back in mexico and it was it was amazing it was whale that, sharks off, oh. the, off the coast of cancun yeah it was yeah it was amazing 
that's kind of what I'm working towards. Like, I because one of the guys who's a similar role to what you have uh, for Beneath the Waves, he also has his own freelance media company. His name's Sammy Catan. He's amazing. He has just recently gotten to do a Shark Week episode with them. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping if I keep paying the dues and keep working at it to get there because that would be epic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're on your way. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying, man. It's like you said. It is. It can be stressful when, uh, especially if you're swimming with around with a big tiger shark or <laughs> something like that. But it's yeah. worth it when you're looking at it all later. It's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you weren't doing this, was there another job or career that you thought you'd be doing when you went into college? Um. Yeah. It. it I, it's tough to say. Like I didn't have exactly that honed in focus in you know to do what I wanted to do this for a living until my you know probably like sophomore junior year. But I didn't really have a very. I, I toyed around with a couple of things. I thought maybe I'd be a teacher for a bit when I was in high school. I thought maybe I'd work in advertising. Um, I really didn't know, and quite frankly, I cannot imagine doing anything else for a living. Um, yeah, this is this is what I do. This is you know more or less what I think I'm I'm best at. And uh, yeah, I, I guess the answer to that question is no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if creative people in general kind of go through a similar process of not knowing because I think when you see someone who's like a lawyer or a doctor, they kind of know for a while that that's what they want to do. Like even something mm-hmm. in like middle school, they're like, oh, that's what I want to be. But I feel like you rarely hear people in middle school, high school, sometimes college even being like, Oh, I want to be a professional photographer when I'm older. You know, like it's, yeah, it it takes a longer time, I think for that to like develop. I I mean, I think it, you know, it just doesn't seem like realistic. You you watch TV, (laughs) you see the, you see the stuff and you're like, you know, that people do that for a living, you know? And I think it took a while for me to like realize that and meet some of them and work with some of them that I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is for me. And it's feasible to do it. Like I can, I can make a living doing this. It, it took a while to like for that to really click in. I think for me, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a weird thing because it's not like that's something you see at career day. You know, you don't see a, a wildlife photographer, a cinematographer, but you look TV and you see all these shows and everything occurring, and they're like, well, someone has to be behind the camera shooting that. Exactly. So that job is there. You just kind of yeah. have to you have to go find it. Right. Yeah. Is it hard for you or has it become easier for you to find work or are you on a pretty consistent basis with like an agency or like a a company that you work for now? Um, It like builds up over time. Um, So I I do not have an agent, but um, pretty much how it works is at this point I have like a lot of producers and executive producers and mainly production companies and networks that I'm familiar with that um, when they have a project that they think I might be a good fit for, you know, I get a phone call and it, and it kind of goes from there. Most of the stuff I do um, thus far in my career, I've done a lot for Discovery. I've done a lot for National Geographic. Um, I'm starting to work a lot more for Netflix now. Um, I've worked for Animal Planet. I've worked for Travel Channel. Um, those are, you know, I worked for Disney, Disney Plus, Nat Geo show. I, I recently was a director of photography for, um, but that's kind of like my wheelhouse. So the, those are the kind of shows I typically um, get a call for. 
And it's mostly focusing with like animals and landscapes. Mostly, yeah. Like, um, I just, I, I, the pat, I've just done two seasons of a show where I was the director of photography for a show called The Wizard of Paws, um, and it is on Disney Plus, National Geographic, and BYU, and it is a show about a by the about a guy by the name of uh, Derek Campana, and he is. Um, an animal prosthesis um, technician. So he makes animal prosthetics. Oh, wow. So every, every episode of the show, uh, we go somewhere and meet a family who has a special needs animal or an animal in need. And then Derek comes in, meets the animal, and builds a prosthetic for this animal. It's, it was pretty fantastic. So um, I was just the DP of that show, and that was, that's for uh, National Geographic and Disney+. Plus. Very cool. So as a DP, what are your key responsibilities? Are they different than someone who's handling the camera the whole time? Or how does that work? Um, For the type of stuff that I do, I think if you work on like a big scripted movie or a or you know big commercial or something like that, the DP is is more hands off in that he probably is just, you know, ordering people around somewhat, you know, telling figuring out a lighting scheme, figuring out a camera scheme, you know, what he wants the camera operators to do and whatnot. But what the world I come from, the DP, you know, I have a camera in my hands. I am also shooting. I think the DP position and the type of work that I do is you're just like the lead camera guy, more or less. Gotcha. Okay. You establish the look for the show. You establish the, what, you know, technically you want for the show as far as equipment and all that and how you want stuff done. Do you have aspirations to be in that, dp role like on a major film or something like that at this point that's a question i get a lot and it's like at this point i love what i do i love telling stories about real people real Mm. places real things um i don't have a very big appetite at the moment to sit on a set and work with actors not that there's anything wrong with that but it's just not my cup of tea I, i like i like being in the thick of it i like being out there i like being in real situations like I said, with real people telling yeah. real stories, um, that's what like moves me, and that's what oh, okay. I'm passionate about. Very yeah. cool. That's awesome. I mean, I look at your Instagram, and you're always in these remote locations, and it's just badass. You were just in Alaska, correct? Yeah, I was just doing um, a, a Netflix show um, that is going to be crazy when it comes out. It was a very <laughs> big production. I was just a camera operator on it. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a wild one. It was like a mix between Survivor and The Hunger Games almost. It oh was my God. Wild. It was wild. Um, I can't say too much about it yeah, yeah. because I signed a big old contract, but um, sure. it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really, really cool. Do you, know, do you have an idea of when it would be coming out? Uh, it'll come out sometime next year. Uh, not sure when. Um, I would imagine probably in the fall. So it's going to be a minute before it comes out. It's okay. going to be an absolute beast to put together. The amount of footage and content right. they have to put together. But it's it's going to be cool. Do you will you be a part of that editing process at all? Or once the cam once you turn the camera off, you're good. You're done. Yeah. So for this job, I was just I was hired as a camera operator and a producer. So I just came in and I shoot and I field produce and. Um, when it's done, I think a uh, post on that show is being done in LA. So oh, okay. it all gets ship, shipped off there and they have a the post team taking it, taking it from there. Do you prefer doing it that way? Do you, or do you like being part of the editing process? Um, it's always, I, I honestly don't often get to be a part of the editing process. Um, oh, okay. It's typically, you know, 
two different two different worlds. Uh, it is, you know, for the, the Wizard of Oz project that I wrapped, I was involved somewhat with that, um, which is always refreshing, especially when you're the DP of a show and, you, you know, you're shooting things and you have a vision of how you want it all to be put together. It's nice to have a voice in that room so you can kind of uh, give them a roadmap to what you were thinking, why you shot things the way you did and how yeah. you envision it being put together. It's always really, really nice. And the project I find always ends up in a better place when there's a good stream of communication between the field team and the post team, because then you guys can work together and they're not just like receiving a bunch of footage and blindly putting it together. You know, there's reasons to why we do things the way we do them in the field. And if that can be conveyed in the edit, then the, the project, you know, benefits. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And when I was just on that recent trip, I, I was doing a mix of picture and video and I mm -hmm. don't have as much experience with cinematography, videography. I just grew up doing photography and I never really focused on video. And so I'm just trying to capture everything I can. And I got to keep all the footage. They got a hard drive. I got a hard drive. And I was like, well, I have all this like cool footage. I got stuff from the drone, the red a7s3. And I was like, well, I should maybe try to make a little edit of this. Just a quick little minute clip for Instagram. And I was like, man, this is so damn hard when you're not shooting with intention and you just have a bunch of shots and trying to piece it together into a story. I was like, Oh, I fucked right. up. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And, and at that stage of the game and, um, even like, you know, still like I try editing is the most informative thing you can do as a cinematographer, as a DP, as a camera operator, what have you. Like, when you sometimes, you know, you'll sit down and you'll look at your stuff and you'll just sit there for hours kicking yourself. Why didn't I do this? I overshot. I should have mm -hmm. done this. I don't have this. And it's it's it can be painful, but it's also it can be one of the best things you do because you're never going to learn these things until you're forced to sit down with your own content and you're working with it because that's yeah. the same the same spot that the editor is going to be in. You got to you got to really understand what you're giving them. And if you're giving them all the pieces of the story that they need, you know? Right. It's the best thing you can do. And I think me doing those edits, even though like if they might not use it or whatever, I wasn't getting paid really to edit that. It's good for me because then it helps me think about, Oh, well I need to remember to do this a certain way. Yeah. The and I literally pick up the camera. You're yeah. Gonna, you're going to do a better job because you're going to, you know what, you know, I texted the for them. Yeah. I texted the DP and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be more intentional on this next trip. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um do you have a certain process you go through for editing that like you found works for yourself um depends depends on the project if it's like um if it's a commercial commercial gig and uh it's it's more or less just like a highlight you know if it's commercial work you more have like a storyboard in your mind mm -hmm. um and then when you go out and shoot you'll kind of be putting together that storyboard so the first thing i'll do is like gather all my footage I, I cut and premiere mostly and i'll just start piecing it together and ha how i have it storyboarded and, and knowing what i have shot just kind of like piecemeal put it together a lot of the times for commercial stuff i'll honestly just go in there and be like i know i got these great shots and i'll just throw all the great shots in there and then i'll start working around that and and putting it together for more documentary reality stuff, it can be a beast because you have tons of footage and you've shot a story, but you got to condense it or manipulate it or craft it in a way to like fit in a time slot or something like that. So um, the first thing I would start with 
uh, for that kind of project is audio um, mm. and putting together kind of like the more like the how you want it to sound and then you can start overlaying visuals on top of it yeah that's one thing that a lot of people have stressed to me is that audio is the most important part um which i never yeah. really knew and now it's like oh i need to really figure that part out yeah and it's another beast man it is another beast i've worked on a lot of projects where i don't have my own audio guy and i'm i'm doing it myself in the field and you know i've done projects where i work with the beautiful people of audio that make your life <laughs> so much easier and make certainly make me worry a lot less and once and they once got I like the it, boom mics and stuff and all that yeah have a mixer um and they'll be able to run channels of audio into their mixer as well as having a boom mic so you know like some of these shows like that wizard of pause one i mentioned um i think you know we uh, my audio uh guy adam doria he's out of kansas city he's phenomenal um you know he'd be running i think six channels of audio um from transmitters to his bag wow and then he's also sending a signal to my camera and then he has a boom mic for any situations where the audio isn't clean off of their uh, their transmitters oh my gosh oh yeah he's yeah that's a lot it, more it can, than a shotgun. it can be stressful oh yeah it's a way more than a shotgun it's, <laughs> and it can be stressful you got you got to manage a lot yeah that's tough with yeah. So how often are you gone on these trips? Like how many weeks out of the year are you flying out to God knows where to shoot? I mean, it depends on the projects and depends on the year. Um, I would say like 2020, you know, largely because of COVID, I was on the road nine months of the year. Um, and, nine and months? Yeah. Um, Whoa. And I did, I did. So in 2020, I did... Um, Alaska, The Last Frontier, which is a Discovery show. And then I went from that right to Gold Rush, which is another Discovery show. And then I did The Wizard of Paws um, through Christmas. You know, we, we were shooting in uh, Hawaii at the end of that season through the, through the uh, end of the year. But yeah, I mean, it depends on the year. And co with COVID, uh, it's made it so... And rightfully so, productions don't want to break because every time a production breaks and sends everyone home, there's the added risk of, you know, someone could get COVID, someone could um. get held up, held up somewhere. Um, quarantine times, like for me being from Canada, but working, you know, only really in the United States, um, you know, with last year having the two week quarantine rule, every time I came back into the country, I would have to sit for two weeks. So. Oh my god! If I if I only had a two week break, it was it was always like that struggle. It was like, well, do I go home and and sit on my couch for two weeks, or do I just stay in San Diego and chill here for a bit and then get back to work? So Dang. it really depends on the project, though. You know, I, some shows I work on have a schedule of like six weeks on, two weeks off, um, four weeks on, one week off. You know, it depends on the show and what you're doing. And is that like five days a week, seven days a week? Yeah, typically most of the shows I work on are six days a week. Sometimes they're five. Sometimes, you know, I, I filmed a show in the Arctic for, for four years and we were literally in the middle of uh, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which is, if you look on a map, is huge and it's the middle of nowhere. There's no roads, there's no nothing. I was living in a tent with a wood stove. So we work seven days a week because you know, there wasn't exactly any off time there. Wow. What was yeah. that like living in such a remote place? It was incredible. Um, such an amazing experience it's one of the projects if not the project i'm the most proud of that i've ever worked on and it was it was a television show on discovery channel that ran for four years it was called the last alaskans 
Um, and it, it was great. It was a true, true documentary type of show um, about uh, the fur trappers who have permission to live in this area of Alaska called the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And it's about, I think they say in the, the show open, it's about the size of South Carolina and it's far north and as far east as you can go in the state of Alaska. And it's just massive, wow. untouched, pure nature. There's no roads. You can't have anything with wheels no ATVs, not even a wheelbarrow. Like it's, and the people that live out there, you know, build their own homes and they live, they are truly a part of nature and they kind of live in that ecosystem. Um, and it was, you know, an honor to be able to, to film that show. Very That's proud. amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. So with being gone so much, do you have time for personal projects or is that something that's just kind of on the back burner? Um, not to be, to be honest with you, not really. I'm hoping to make time for it as I kind of get older and as I become more established. You know, my mindset early on in my career was just work, 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 get the foot mm -hmm. in the door and run with it and, and become established. Um, and, and luckily I've been in, privileged enough to, to do that while also working on a lot of projects that I've enjoyed. Yeah, it's not like right. I've been work, working on stuff that has you know, I haven't been into, I've been, I've been lucky enough to work on a lot of stuff that I've really, really enjoyed and I've been able to see the world. Yeah. I mean, all these projects are badass. <laughs> yeah. A lot of them are really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, have to have your own camera gear or do they, pro I'm sure you have your own camera gear, but do they provide a lot of gear to you too for these big productions? Yeah. I, you know, everything's pretty much provided. I've, owned small bits of gear off and on throughout my career but um like all the big ticket items you know pretty much it, the production company either already owns them or they're using a rental company or mm. that's typically how it works um you know i've never owned you know i'm always using like big cinema cameras but i typically don't you know i don't own any i've owned gimbals i own a drone i just bought a mavic 3 actually i own my own personal yeah photo camera i shoot on fuji big Fujifilm nut. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, pretty much everything, pretty much everything is there when I get there. Cause like Netflix, don't they use a lot of red stuff now? Yeah. So Netflix is pretty interesting because they have like, if you can actually Google it, um, they have an approved list of cameras. So there's like a Netflix list and Netflix will only let you shoot their shows with, uh, approved cameras. Huh. And they also want everything, which makes sense. They want everything as future-proof as they can. So they want all their projects shot in 4K. Um, so, you know, I've done a couple of things for Netflix. The, the show I just shot, the survival show up in Alaska, we shot on the Sony FX9. Oh, how was that? Uh, it's great. It was really, really good. I, I used it also for Gold Rush this past year, but th this is the first time I've used it using the full, full-frame sensor. Um, mm -hmm. And we were, so we we're using the FX9 with uh, Sigma E-mount glass, as well as some Sony E-mount glass. Nice. And that has uh, the built-in ND filters, right? Yeah, built-in ND. And it's actually got a built-in variable ND. So you can really, really Whoa. get, you know, precise with it. Dang. How yeah, is the, how did that camera compare to other cinema cameras you've used? It's, it's awesome. I love the look of it. It's got um, Sony, you know, the older model Sony, uh, FS seven was a great camera, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the look of it. I liked more of the older Sony F five. Hmm. Um, and this FX nine's got a, a, 
its look is more like the F5, and I really, really like it. It's really okay. kind of cinematic. It's very, very beautiful. I love the look of it. Very cool. I uh, yeah. I just rented a FX3 for a family yep. trip. Um, we had those up there as well, actually. Did you like that one? Yeah, it's great. Okay. It's great. Yeah, I've never never used it before, but I wanted a because I have a Sony A7R3, which is like a right. pure photo camera. Yeah. And it crushes in that, but it's not the best for video. So I wanted one, another camera that I could have to focus more on just video. Yeah, it's a great, that's a great camera. It's essentially just a Sony A7S Mark III, but it's got a more video-centric build to it, I, I guess. It doesn't yeah, have it's a finder. Yeah, it's got the built-in fan and stuff to make it not overheat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it does, um, you know, 4K 120 which is nuts uh, video yeah it, it's it's really nice i used it a lot um whenever on this this show i just finished whenever we were um these people we were filming had you know built their little like huts or whatever that they were living in and they're really tight and really small and really dark yeah so obviously we we couldn't get the fx9 in there to shoot scene work if they're having a big camera converse, yeah. yeah it's a big camera big lens it's got a big footprint so um, having the ability to be like, okay, we're in a tight spot or I'm, you know, doing something in this weird spot. I can grab the FX3, I can crank the ISO to 12,800 and it's still crisp and it's still usable. Oh, that's um, so cool. You know, it just gave us the versatility to, to do those kind of things, which is awesome. I know it's crazy how much they can pack into cameras nowadays. It's such a small size. It's scary. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like you look at GoPros too and Beneath the Waves uses them for our deep sea cameras that mm -hmm. they'll drop thousands of feet and it's obviously in a different casing, but that's what they use and they have like one or two lights down there at the bottom and you can see some crazy shit and it's just off of a GoPro. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's it's only getting better. It's 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 exciting. I love it. I yeah. love to nerd out on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's well I mean, every year it's like what what new thing are they gonna add into a camera now? Yeah, especially with the GoPros too. It's become this like yearly tradition. It's like okay, the GoPro 11s out now. I think is what they're on. And yeah, I feel old because I, when I got into television, I, it was like right when the GoPro 4 came out. Oh, <laughs> wow! You know, yeah. I've been around a minute. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I, I always am like, oh, do I really need a new one? It's like, well, it has new settings. Like maybe I should. Yeah, it's that it's that you know gear buying syndrome that we all fall into sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially with Black Friday, too. They really get you. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I just bought that new uh, Peak Design travel tripod because... I did, too. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Did you yes, get the I carbon did. one? I did. Of oh, course I, did. I cheapened yeah. out. I got the aluminum. <laughs> yeah, I went I went carbon. I was like, yeah. I just worry about the aluminum uh, when I when I travel with it, like, getting dented. But yeah. we'll see. I'm sure yeah, Peak hopefully. Design makes great stuff. I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. Oh my God, their clips and just the way you can attach stuff all over is just seamless. I mean, they, they yeah. nailed it. It's perfect. Yeah, and I, I have uh, their big photo bag too that I use and I just fell in love with it. I love that it doesn't have like stuff everywhere. It's like pretty clean and sleek, but then in, in, on the inside, it's got all the storage and compartments that you could ever want. Yeah, that's what I'm always needing is like a better photo bag because I have one from Low Pro or Lower Pro, however you say it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty new and it's good, but I might have to look into that Peak Design one. It's it's nice. It's uh it's a little spendy, but they all are. But I'm I've had mine for two years now, and I, I oh wow, but yeah. And speaking of gear, you said you got the new Mavic Three. I've heard mixed things about it. I was wondering what you think of it. 
Ah, so far so good. I mean, I, I've I've only flown it once or twice. Um, I bought it like on release day when I was I was up in Alaska working, and I um, was on the phone to my girlfriend, and um, I was watching the release video, and I was like, I'm. I am buying this right now. I, I made the mistake of I've been flying drones for about five years, and um, I was I was really big into the the Phantom DJI mm-hmm. um, series for a while. I had the Phantom Three, I had the Phantom Four, I had the Phantom Four Pro, and then when the Mavic Two came out, I didn't buy it, um, and I ended up kind of kicking myself because I ended up using it on every production that I worked on for the next <laughs> three years, and I was like, I could I could be making making some money and and have my own drone but i they I use that right drone away. for those big productions oh yeah that's totally. crazy especially especially the type of stuff in alaska you do because a lot of the time i'll be trudging around the bush with you know my camera and a backpack and and having the mavic i can just toss it in my my bag and it's pretty low profile and you can get it up in the air really really quickly so in for those type of shows it's absolutely crucial um I've flown bigger stuff for sure, but uh, the Mavic's great. And uh, that's why I, I splurged for this new one as soon as it came out. And so far, so good. Did you get the smart controller as well? Yeah, I went full in, man. <laughs> wow, that's an inv- that's a little investment right there. Yeah. It's yeah. so cool, though. Yeah, it's so far so good. Can't wait to play with it more. Can't awesome. give you an in-depth review yet, but yeah, yeah, so far so good. I just have the Mavic Air 2, and uh, I love it, though. I mean, it definitely gets the job done for everything I do. and So fun. Totally, yeah, they're awesome. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to – one last question I had for you is what advice would you give to someone who wants to not maybe necessarily be a wildlife cinematographer or a nature cinematographer, um, but someone who just wants to be in the creative world as a career in photography or videography, let's say? What advice would I give? Um, I would say, and you know, for instance, when I have spoke at Queens, I say this to students, it's like, you know, I'll tell you what I did to get where I am, but don't think that there's an exact roadmap to get here and to do this. Everyone's gonna have a different story on how they get to where they wanna get creatively. I would say, so keep an open mind to, to that and, work your butt off that that would be it my advice if if this is what you want to do and you're passionate about it educate yourself learn strive to get better you know it's not like you reach a, a level and you're like okay i'm good i'm, I'm good at this you know you, you, it's you have to stay current you always have to get better and if it's truly your passion you'll be always interested to do that and improve your skills and get better it's 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 uh you're signing up for a, a lifetime of learning so yeah, Just there's definitely hard. a lot to learn. I mean, you can go on YouTube and look at 20 videos and learn 20 different things just from that alone. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I, yeah. And like, even like when I talk to someone like you or someone like Sammy, who's the big time, he's a DP as well. It's, it's always fun to gather more information and learn stuff because I'm still getting into it and trying to obviously progress. Yeah. And that'll never stop. Yeah. And if it, if it does, something's wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah because the way this industry works is like you know you always need to be getting better you you can always improve you can always learn. there's always something to be learned and it's beneficial yeah i was taking pictures one day at the beach and this guy he get, he tells me he's like yeah 
I mastered landscape photography, so uh, I'm focusing more on portrait work. And I was like, dude, shut nonsense. up. Uh, yeah, I just walked. Is... I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's it's nonsense. Like... You can have different focuses. Like I, when I started, I was also like photography wise, I was really into landscapes, really, really into landscapes. And I, I was like that for probably like two, three years. And then I, I feel like as I've gotten older and my tastes have changed, I'm more, in, I'm into different stuff now, but I have by no means mastered anything really. Yeah. And I don't think any of us ever will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'd be scared to think that I'm a master at anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. That's the goal. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, Ross, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you've seriously been a huge inspiration to me, and uh, I can't thank you enough. Oh, thanks so much for saying that. Yeah, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, have a great rest of your day, man. Thanks.